Hello and welcome to Dragon's Demotics, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. Today, I am joined as always by Greg. Hello. And we will be reviewing Vi. But first, let's talk about what we've been playing. Yeah, so we had a good long weekend for Labor Day. We got together with some of our friends at a local board game pub and had a chance to play the new Terraforming Mars expansions. We got to play Hellas, the the Southern Wild, Mm -hmm. which was a lot of fun. Um, And I know you probably have a lot to say about that because you were starting to get very tired of the awards and milestones on the original map. Yes, I was. Uh, The original map, I think, when you're looking at the game of Terraforming Mars, they disproportionately reward people for doing a placement on the map versus the cards. And when there are a lot of good cards, I always focus on a card strategy, and I got crushed pretty much whenever I focused on a card strategy. Like I would look like I was pretty in the lead or like, you know, close to the, to the top during the game. But then when everyone totaled up points from like what was on the planet, I got left in the dust. Now the awards and uh, the milestones on the new maps now include other things that have to do with the cards. So, for example, when we were playing Hellas, one of them being whoever has the most green cards yeah. played. All right, so that's already a card-based one. Or whoever has the most building tags played. It's like, it has a lot more in terms of like varying the type of gameplay that can win because in most of our games, the actual milestones and awards were the deciding factor. Mm -hmm. Everyone was decently close in the rest of it and it was just like, you know, maybe a few points difference. But it was when you calculated in the milestones and the awards that someone would, that's where they got the points. Yeah, and I definitely agree with that. I think there were sort of card-focused awards and milestones on the original map. You know, you had the eight building tags allows you to claim an award and the science tags as a milestone or vice versa. But in terms of the balance of them, I think Hellas, at least, we haven't played Elysium yet, does a much better job of striking that balance between, okay, we're going to have board-focused stuff versus we're going to have card-focused stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's actually interesting because the way that I think about it, it's like cards for the most part, like they don't give you too many points. Some of them do have points, but most of the cards that you play will not have points. Right. On average, I'd say you're probably going to end up with anywhere between five and ten points from cards. Exactly. Versus on the planet, like every piece of greenery that you play is a point. And then you know, the cities multiply that depending on how many much greener you have around. Right. So it's for the base game, the map almost multiplies the already larger number of points that you get from having things on the map. So it almost over incentivizes placing things on the map versus I think so far anyway, when the one game that we've played, right. I feel that the expansion has almost corrected that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I'm excited to play some more games on Hellas. I'm excited to play Elysium. Mm-hmm. I actually did look at the map for Elysium, and I do think there's going to be some interesting stuff because the awards and milestones follow sort of the same pattern of moving more towards the proper balance, but there are overwhelming numbers of plant placement bonuses on Elysium, including a single tile that gets you three plants back. Yeah. So... I would be very surprised if we didn't see a bunch of greenery when we played that map. Yeah. 
I think that that one could be very, very interesting to see the balance of that one. I, I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, just, I, I think that these are definitely things, it, it's, it's just a map pack, literally, the expansion. But I think it's honestly necessary to get for your Terraforming Mars collection because it just helps the balance of the game totally. in so many ways. So we played that. We also had a chance to play a collectible card game called Vampire the Eternal Struggle. A friend of ours has a bunch of sort of pre-constructed decks and also miscellaneous cards that he's collected, which is good because it's a very, very old game and it's out of print, I believe. Yes. So otherwise, you know, we wouldn't be able to play. That was fun. It was interesting. It was designed by Richard Garfield, the Mm -hmm. same person who was at the helm for Magic the Gathering. And you can definitely tell in a lot of the templating and a lot of sort of the way costs are balanced and those sorts of things as a person who has played a fair amount of magic before there was a lot that was familiar yeah uh, i've also played a little bit of magic and i'm just not a big fan of collectible card games in general so of course i'm biased from the beginning right but especially if you don't know your deck it's really difficult to know what you're gonna be going up against and it's like for the most part, I don't mind deck builders because I'm building the, the decks in game, but collectible card games and those other things where you have to like plan out and build a deck beforehand are completely not my thing. Right. So like, I mean, I played it, I misplayed a few things and ended up just barely losing, but it just not something that I would really come back to. But yeah. again, that's just because I don't like collectible card games. That's fair. I actually, I'm, I'm kind of a fan of collectible card games. I don't play them really anymore because I don't have hundreds of dollars of expendable income. But I liked the game well enough, and I think I'll probably play it some more with our friends, if for no other reason than because it's available. And also I like the setting, mm-hmm. which helps. But there's definitely some mechanical stuff that threw me up. You don't have mana or, or really mm-hmm. resources of any kind apart from blood. Yeah. Being that it's a vampire game, that's appropriate. But blood is also your health pool, and you spend health pool to put minions into play and then use those minions to try to attack the health pool of your prey. And this is actually one thing that is interesting about the game is that it's really designed as a multiplayer, which in collectible card games means three or more, multiplayer game. You have one person who is your prey, you have one person who is your predator, and you sort of cycle around the table like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you play with only two players, it's fine. But it really shines when you get three, four, five players. So you've got these minions that are coming into play using your health as a resource. And then you have to try to balance inflicting damage on your prey while protecting yourself from your predator. And I'm sure there are ways to do it. I'm sure there are good strategies. But the overwhelming impression that I was left with after our first game was simply that it's too hard to hold on to your life and still impact the board. Yeah, it definitely has that kind of feel where it's very difficult to keep any kind of blood for yourself and also still like be able to attack other people. But th- at the same time, it's also very much luck of the draw. Like, yeah. as, as all collectible card games are, like it really is based on what you draw like i had really good hands at the very beginning and was able to go pretty damn well on that but then as soon as my luck ran out and i started drawing nothing interesting uh and nothing useful i got destroyed yeah so yeah but 
I'm sure we'll play it again, or I'm sure I'll play it again, and we'll uh, see how our feelings evolve on it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so other than that, I also actually got to play an RPG. Um, Stars Without Numbers is what it's called. It's pretty basic kind of RPG. It's got some interesting different mechanics. It's not D20-based. Okay. Uh, which is cool. You still have stats very similar to what you would in a Pathfinder D&D setting. But the way that it works is you have different ways of... like Most, most of it is skill checks. And skill checks are done by 2d6 plus whatever modifiers you have. Okay. Modifiers are few and far between. <laughs> like anything, any sport, a score that you have base score between 8 and 13 is a zero modifier. Okay, that's and, a pretty wide range. Yep, and you roll three dice and you don't drop anything. You just roll three dice, it's not four, drop one, or anything like that. It's just, boom, three dice. Okay. So it's really hard to get above that. But also pretty hard to get below that. Mm, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, exactly. It's, it's hard to get below or above. You're mostly average right. for the most part. But like, you know, if you go below that, you get a minus one. If you literally roll three ones, then you have a minus two. If you roll three sixes, you get a plus two, or otherwise you get a plus one. Okay, so um, pretty pretty tight range of modifiers. Yes, there's a very tight range of modifiers, and also the skills are also very tight. Like level one, you literally don't have any skills other than what like you get from your background kind of thing. Wow. And everything starts similar to Polaris. Everything starts at negative one. Oh, wow. So like if you're trying to use something and you can use it without being trained, so there are certain things that you can't. But if you're trying to use something that you haven't been trained in, you roll your 2d6 and subtract one. Hmm. But then also if, for example, it was a reflex thing and I have a bad reflex, you would subtract one for, for not being able to do it by reflex. And then also one for your decks being low. Oof. So you could have like a minus two to certain skills because you're really bad at that kind of stuff. So in the grand scheme of things, when you know an easy difficulty is a six, that can be really detrimental. Mm-hmm. But the game itself is pretty interesting. I, I did like the system. It was simple character creation. You really didn't have too many choices. You went from either being a warrior who has higher head dice and can use combat stuff more easily. A psychic, so they can use some kind of psychic powers. And that's what powered like space travel and other things like that. It was the basis of Earth society and power and that kind of stuff. Sure. Until they all exploded, pretty much. Like they do. So you can also be a psychic. And then the last one is you can be an expert, so skill monkey. But not a lot of skills to go around. So. Not a lot of skills, but you, you get an extra skill point for each level than everyone else. Okay. And I was actually a little bit frustrated with just how difficult it is to to advance your skills. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting when you look at the system, not only does it cost like progressively more points to get to the next level. Okay. So it's not like, you know, you gain this many skill points in your level and then you can allocate them one to one anywhere. It's like, you know, from negative one to zero is one skill point from zero to one is two skill points from Ugh. one to two is three skill points and so on That's and so awful. forth yeah when when you have at maximum pretty much four skill points per level mm-hmm. yeah like it's really really tight on skills yeah but not only that but you also have to, have to pay credits to to gain your skills so you have to get trained what, what? oh so okay so i mean going thematically for, it makes sense yeah they're going for realism they're going for realism but it just makes it very difficult to to get a lot a lot of skills huh. that being said i did enjoy playing 
Like the way that we played, we played with the variant that even the designer said that it was in the base one. It's not even four skill points for the for the experts per level. It's three. Oof. And then the designers just said, "All right, no, everyone, you're right. We needed the skill progression is way too slow. We need to add like at least one skill point per level. So that that's the variant." And we played with that. We also started at level two, so we actually had some skills and not at level one where we had nothing. Sure. But the story itself that we played was pretty cool. I was the gear monkey. I was the captain of a stolen spaceship. Our GM pretty much said, everyone has to be in debt. And you're being t- chased by like debt collectors. All right. And it's like uh, some of our friends went and like, yeah, you know, I'm 6,000 in debt. I'm this many thousand in debt, like credits. And then um, our friend Trent and I were just like, he he went and like pretty much committed crazy fraud and like was somewhere <laughs> around like hundred something thousand uh, credits in debt right. because he had like a crazy number of like augs and all that kind of stuff, cybernetics implanted in him. Right. And I stole a starship cool. around 500k in debt. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a good way to get into debt. <laughs> So, yeah, it was pretty fun. And, they, you know, so what happened in the game was we landed uh, on the planet. Our reactor blew up pretty much and our ship got impounded because of that. So now we had to pay 25000 to the dockmaster in order to, like, you know, pay for the repairs and all that kind of stuff to get our ship unimpounded. But also, we could, if we wanted to, wait for the two weeks until the insurance company paid for everything because the actual doc had insurance so that they were going to get paid for it. Well, that's nice. But the bounty hunters were three days behind us. So not really something that we could do. Yeah. So we had a choice. Either break the ship out, convince like the, the mayor kind of person to... Like send us on an expedition into the gas giant in order to find like some lost cities that are in there because she's independently wealthy and has uh, a very big interest in artifacts. All right. Or rob a bank. <laughs> option C is what you went with. I guess. We went with option C, but that's be- only because of the fact that we were going to go talk to the mayor and we had everything ready. I created like doodads and that kind of stuff that would show that we are technologically advanced enough to go into a like gas giant, even though we completely were not. Oh, of course. Fake it till you make it. Exactly. Um, we were just going to get off planet and bail. But then we scouted out the bank and then one of our guys looked up and saw the starship of the bounty hunters. And we were like, uh-oh, that's well, not good. No more... T- no more time for talking. Yeah, especially when one of our guys is literally walk, running around in power armor, which is, like, extremely conspicuous. Yeah. So they would be able to be like, oh, the guy with power armor, he was that way. We're not getting away. No. So we were just like, all right, bank robbery time. Boom. <laughs> and we just start going. I caught, like, the data line. They all went in, like, robbed the bank pretty much. And then I ran into the bank because I was outside. I did, like, the whole espionage cut the line so that they can't call i went in grabbed uh the money that we needed and just sprinted out while they grabbed the rest of the money and to get to the dock master in time to pay him in cash (laughs) so this is a smallish town yes how did the dock master not think it was weird that you were paying with cash on the same day that a bank was robbed First of all, it was literally 10 minutes after the bank was robbed. Oh. Okay. Um, so information probably hadn't gotten there. Second That's still of all, pretty sketch. 
Second of all, he had a feud with the manager of the bank company. Ah, okay, there we go. That's <laughs> what it is. It's always the human element. Yep, exactly. So we went in there, and I went like, all right, money. Boom. Flopped it down. He just like looked through it. You're good to go. And, and like I ran into the ship, started it all up, got everything ready, and they're all running with like boxes of like bank boxes of money through the streets <laughs> to get to us and then like first the cops find them and they try to like get one of them like tosses a whole box of like money at them it's like here's your bonus like don't chase us kind of thing <laughs> and then the bounty hunters come after us who had gotten there by then but like they managed to just get onto the ship i roll a 13 uh, on my like piloting check nice. to get out of there and it was just like boom all right we're gone so it sounds pretty crazy it was it was definitely a lot of fun. It was a really cool one shot. I definitely liked it. I liked the character that I made enough so that I remade that pretty much a similar kind of character in a different system. So there you go. I'm looking forward to playing more of those mechanic type of characters. Cool. Well, there you go. That's a look at what we've been playing lately. We come now to a beautiful land marred by eternal struggle between. Two to five families controlled by players eight and up, vying for control of the land. Yeah, and that's pretty much what Vi is. It is a game where you are fighting over territory through card placement. Yep, that's exactly what it is. Each player is going to start with a hand of four land cards, as they're called, that depict different types of things. So you'll have mountains, forests, oceans, all that stuff. And on your turn, you play down one land, you put a control marker on it, just a little cube of your color, and if the land that you've played is adjacent to any identical terrain, so not just a mountain, but a purple mountain with this particular art on it, you get to claim the adjacent one and any contiguous terrain of the same type. So you can claim up to four, because there are four of each terrain, and this is really the crux of the game. You're trying to be the person who controls the most contiguous territory, and you're going to be trading back and forth with your opponent because you can capture their things if you play the right terrain and vice versa. Yeah, pretty much. You also have your royal family, which are the cards that are in front of you. And there are four of them. You have your advisor, the king, the queen, and the heir. And each of them can be placed instead of placing a regular terrain card. And they capture without having to be, you know, the same card. So the advisor captures everything around him because, of course, he's much more powerful than the king or queen. Wink, wink. The king captures orthogonally, uh, so anything above, below, uh, left, or right. The queen captures diagonally. And the heir captures any one card he wants that is around him. So that includes both orthogonally and diagonally. These cards are very strategic in placement. Like you are trying to get a card that is difficult for or impossible for you to capture in any other way. The game, it just keeps going. Everyone like places one card each turn. You can place any card you want from your hand. There really are very few restrictions on, on placing them as long as they are orthogonally adjacent. And uh, when you're placing them though, you have to think about a few things. First of all, there are four cards of each suit. And depending on the number of players, you change the number of suits that you play with. It can be anything as low as I believe eight, 
and as high as 16, which is how many come in the box. So depending on the number of players, when you're playing with five, you play with everything. You, you can play with 16, but if you want to have a little bit of a shorter game, a little bit more tense, you can go down to around 12. And once you go through the entire deck, at the very bottom, you have the last five cards. After you shuffle the deck, you take the last four cards and you add the inevitable Empress to those cards. Which is the greatest name for a card I have ever personally heard. It is pretty awesome. And what she does is she ends the game as soon as she is drawn. So somewhere in the last five cards, the game will end. You don't know whether it's going to be the first card or the last card. It could be anywhere in between. So once you get there, it gets really tense. It's just like, okay, is this going to be the one that ends it? And then draw it. No. Okay. Next. Like I still, I might still have a chance. Like, do I have to act before or after or, and things like that. So. Right. And once you get down to that sort of end game consideration, you run into a lot of even more amped up strategic considerations because when you play a card, a land card from your hand, you draw to replace it. But when you play a family card, you don't draw because your hand still contains four land cards. So you can kind of read the board state and say, okay, I'm behind. I want to play all of my family cards before we move into the bottom five because I don't want the game to end until I have better control. Versus if you look at the board state and say, I'm winning handily, I don't need to use my family cards. I'm just going to try to rush and win while I still have the advantage. You've kind of got this this push and pull, this tug of war between wanting to use these exceptionally powerful and unique family cards and wanting to take advantage of whatever board state is presented to you. Exactly. And the base game itself is pretty much just the suits and the family cards, and that's all you play with. Right. Now, this game also has some extra cards, and it's actually a quite substantial number of them. And these extras are cards that you can add. You don't add all of them at any point, but you add certain numbers of them in order to change a little bit of how the game is played. And they have different themes, just like in the rule book that it'll say, like, you know, you add this, 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 and this card for this type of game or this type of game. Uh, the cards come in pretty much two different flavors in terms of how you can get them. There are cards that everyone gets. So a card like Underminers, for example, is one that everyone starts out with one along with their family cards. So they can use it at any point. Everyone has it. Then there are other cards, cards like Sanctuary, that are shuffled into the deck. And the effects of these cards are very different. So Underminers lets you almost dig under one card. So you skip one card when, when you are taking another card or like claiming the territory of another card. Right. So it's one of the few cards that lets you skip one row and like actually get into the closer to the center of the, the whole land, which has already almost been locked down. So other cards like Sanctuary, are cards that you place on top of other cards and they also do some kind of change of ownership so that the ancient passage things like that can change ownership depending on specific rules for them right so the special cards are really very powerful and very unique and they're one of the game's greatest strengths i think because the the base game is very solidly designed it's very strategic it's got good elements but the special cards really add some flavor. 
you know, and the fact that there are a couple of, well, a bunch of different types of them really means that you can kind of do these different permutations and the rule book actually contains recommendations based on similar theming, similar to what you might find at the end of uh, like a Dominion rule book. So you've got one that's all about territory control and it says use these three types of special cards. Those are all geared around, you know, finding ways to connect different parts of your empire and claim territory that you wouldn't normally be able to control. Or there's a, a theme that says, play this if you want, you know, fortifications and the ability to defend your cards from being taken over, which is another whole category of special cards like fortresses, barracks, things like that. So the special cards are really very unique and they add a lot of replayability, I think, because they allow you to change up what you're doing. It's a, a very well-designed game and I doubt it would get stale very quickly, but even if it does start to, you just say, okay, well, let's play with, you know, this special card. We don't play with that very often and change it up there. So that's a really nice inclusion. Yeah, I agree. And it really is very nice to have like these kinds of like different additions because they can almost stop some of the frustrations that you might have with the game. Like, oh, you know, I have to be really careful about where I place this because it's going to get taken over. Well, if I fortify it, it's going to be even more difficult to take over and maybe they won't be able to or something like that. And they really play into the strategy just because of how they work. Because the way they score points at the end is by whoever has the largest contiguous empire wins. So this means that there are choke points that are extremely valuable. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're playing and like, you know, you have one card that is connecting one half of your empire, which is pretty built out to the other half of your empire. And now as soon as one person like snipes that in some way, uses an underminer, uses a, like a family card or something like that to take that away from you, like, all right, boom, like, you're no longer winning or you're winning by a lot less or something and these other cards all like you know can go either way they can either fortify your borders to try to keep them from being taken over or they can help you take over other people's cards yeah yeah there's a whole lot of really interesting strategic considerations and even without the special cards one of the things that jacob alluded to a minute ago was you know there's four cards of each terrain type and you can use them strategically to recapture certain things. So what that means is that, you know, the first one hits the board. The second one's probably going to come out pretty quick if someone can flip it. The third one is really, really important because if you're holding the third one, there's a good chance that you're going to want to use that in order to grab those two others. But there's a whole head game around, okay, I don't have the fourth one yet. Does my opponent have the fourth one? Which opponent has the fourth one? Is it still in the deck somewhere? So knowing when to use the third card in a terrain versus when to just try to protect your two and prevent anyone from using a third card is, is a really important strategic consideration. Yeah, so that can be really, really valuable in a game because... As soon as you play that third card and someone else has a fourth, boom, you just lost. You have no other way of getting those cards back. Mm -hmm. There's like, you can't even use a wild land or anything like that, which literally has restrictions about that. They can be placed as any type of terrain unless all four of that terrain have been placed already. Once those are done, the only way you can get anything back is through family cards or those kinds of special cards that 
are non-denominational almost. Yeah. But yeah, so there is a lot of really cool strategy in the game, uh, and I really enjoy it. But as with a lot of other games that I own, artwork for this game was very important in my decision to buy it. Yep. It has extremely stylized art. The way that it was described to me, and I agree, is is almost like classic like Disney like art in terms of like the posters that they had. Not mm-hmm. not really the animation, but like the little bit of like stylized shapes in there. Like um, it has some really really beautiful artwork. The cards themselves, like all sixteen suits, are really cool. They've got like animals in there. They're very geometric and that kind of stuff but they're done extremely well and uh, it's a pleasure to play just to see all the different cards that are in there and i mean you've got some really cool stuff you've got some dragons you've got some allegories to ahab with like a whale and other (laughs) things like that so like there's just a lot of really cool pieces of artwork in the game itself and it just makes it a pleasure to play yeah definitely for all that no game is perfect and one thing that I particularly wanted to mention is that even though there is a lot of strategy and a lot of head games that go into it, the addition of the deck-based special cards in particular kind of brings some of that luck factor back into it. You know, you can play around someone's tactics. If someone uses a queen card to snipe one of your bridges, you can play your own queen or you can, you know, you can plan for that because you know what's in their hand. But with the deck-based specials, there's only one, maybe two of each of those in the deck. If you're playing with more than two players, there's a pretty decent chance that someone's never going to see a particularly powerful special card. And then it just becomes luck of the draw. Maybe it doesn't determine the game, but it can swing it pretty heavily with the power level of some of these special cards. Yeah, I agree. It can be a bit difficult to balance that. And that's why you should never just play with deck-based cards you have to have the balancing mechanism of everyone getting one of the hand-based like extra cards before placing any others in the deck yeah at least one yes uh so definitely something to take a look at it can be a little bit unbalanced in that way one of the things that i also wanted to mention is just that you really do need to have similar skill levels for this game This is not a game in which if you have someone brand new to gaming and someone who's a veteran gamer, the gameplay style is completely different. So someone new to gaming won't really think about the, you know, holding the third card because it's so vital. Uh, They'll just place it down to take the territory now and not really realize that that just opens them up to being taken over immediately. Whereas a veteran gamer will catch on that immediately i actually had this experience where i played with some people who were brand new to gaming and other people who were veteran game gamers and the first game with both of them were completely different <laughs> like with the with the new people to gaming it was just you know playing the card playing the cards and there really wasn't really that much strategy there wasn't like holding a card to to take it later on or, or at least not as much mm-hmm. Versus when I was playing with the gamers, it was just immediately, everyone was just like looking at it. It's like, okay, when am I going to use this? When am I going to get the most value out of this and, and all that? And like they immediately caught on to the fact that, oh, the third card is extremely powerful. I, you know, I can't just put the third one on because someone else is going to snipe me right out of it unless I time it right. Mm-hmm. So you definitely have a little bit of a skill mismatch there. Yeah. So... 
final review, all of it taken together, I'm going to go with the Buy It. Uh, I think it's a very reasonably priced game, as well as a very enjoyable one. Like I mentioned, it's got some permutations, it's got replayability, and it's also just got really solid, compelling core mechanics. It's got a little bit of luck, it's got a lot of strategy, it's got gorgeous art, if that's something that you're into, like Jacob. And so wrap that all up for a, you know, a reasonably priced package, and I think Vi is well worth owning. I'll agree. I also say buy it for the game. Uh, it's a lot of fun. I very much enjoyed it. The artwork, of course, sold me on it. And then when I played the game, it just confirmed everything. And I just think that it's a lot of fun. Uh, the game is also pretty language independent in terms of the cards themselves. You do need to know the rules, but the cards themselves don't really have that many on them. So this can be good for people who either, you know, friends from abroad, someone who doesn't really know English, or even a game to travel with. It's uh, definitely a lot of fun for that. So there's our review of Vi. Real quick before we go, we do want to talk about a couple of games that are similar. If you like these, you might like Vi and vice versa. The first one to mention is Armadora. Armadora is another territory control game. It's very similar to those sorts of games that you played <laughs> at school with the dots and you draw lines between the dots and try to enclose territory. It's it's basically that, just with dwarves and elves and things. So in Armadora, you have a lot of the same sensibilities with regard to, okay, I can put a line here, but then someone else is going to close that off and someone's going to take advantage of that play. So you have to think a couple of steps ahead that's very similar to Vi. Also very similar to Vi, it's quick. It's a light game, both small and easy to pick up and play. So if you're looking for something of a similar weight, but with a slightly different feel, Armador is a good choice. And for a game that is a very similar feel, but I would say even a little bit lighter weight, we recommend Lanterns. So we talked about this before. Lanterns is very similar in gameplay. You have tiles in your hand that you're placing to match uh, colors on on the board in order to get points pretty much by getting sets of the colors now the gameplay is slightly different but it has a very very similar feel and is even a bit lighter than Vi, but also really cool game a lot of fun and if you like one you'll probably like another if you'd like a step up from lanterns Vi is a great step up um, and if you want something similar to Vi, but a little bit easier, you've got lanterns. And there you have it. That's our review of Vi. We hope that you enjoyed this episode of Dragon's Demise. If you are interested about what happened at WashingtonCon, first off, be sure to check out last week's podcast where we do an overall recap of it. But also, be sure to tune in to our continued coverage of WashingtonCon. The panels are all up currently, and the interviews will be coming up starting this week. As always, be sure to join us for our live stream. This week it will be on Thursday. We are on both Twitch and YouTube. We hope to see you there. And as always, be sure to join us next week on Dragon's Demise.